Hello and welcome back for another episode of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azami. I hope that everyone listening to this is doing well and staying safe in this difficult period. It's been over a month since the last episode and a lot has changed in the world since the last episode was released. A lot of dentists are really hurting out there by not being able to work and being confined to isolation. So I do hope that everyone is keeping busy and using this time to relax, exercise and learn. Make sure to reach out to your friends and colleagues to check in and make sure they're doing well. It's really important we look after each other in this difficult time. This interview is very important for me. It is with someone who I have admired and looked up to for years and having the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with them for this interview was tremendously exciting and definitely one of the highlights of my podcasting career so far. Today's guest is the Bloody Tooth Guy. Many will know him as one of Instagram's original members and many of us have benefited from his outstanding content, education and entertainment around oral and maxillofacial surgery. In this interview, we talk about his journey into dentistry and OMFS, when and why he started the Bloody Tooth Guy Instagram account, and why he decided to stay anonymous for so long. We also went off track a little bit and had a good chat about topics we're both passionate about, watches and sports. This interview was recorded in February before this COVID pandemic changed everything, and that is why you won't hear us discussing it during this interview. This episode is brought to you by my good friends at Ivoclar Vivident. Ivoclar is one of the world's leading and most innovative dental companies offering a comprehensive range of products and systems that provide you with new opportunities in dentistry. For even more aesthetic and efficient results and better dental care for patients, making people smile is what they do. To find out more about Ivoclar and their products, visit ivoclarvivident.com.au. Again, that's ivoclarvivident.com.au. As always, if you've enjoyed the Newbie Dentist podcast, please be sure to head over to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating. And if you subscribe, that really helps the audience and the podcast grow much faster. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview half as much as I did recording it. Without further delay, enjoy the interview with the man himself, the bloody tooth guy. Welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast, the safe place for newbie dentists to connect, collaborate, learn, and grow. The Newbie Dentist Podcast aims to provide high-quality and high-value content for all the newbie dentists out there. With your host, Dr. Omerizami. All right, so I'm here with the Bloody Tooth Guy. This is an interview I've been very excited to do for a very long time, and I had the pleasure of actually meeting you at DIA not too long ago. Uh, quite awkwardly, I would say, <laughs> maybe a few too, too many drinks, and we met outside the bathroom, so <laughs> I kind of ambushed you and uh, talked you into this interview. So I, I do appreciate you making the time, and we had to actually reschedule once as well, so thanks for you know, rescheduling and, and being so flexible to meet with us today and uh, chat to the audience. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. So it's I guess before be I you know, get into everything, I just wanted to just personally, and I guess on behalf of like all the Instagram, you know, dentists out there, just thank you for, you know, the amount of content and the sheer volume of cases and stuff that you put up. Uh, I started following you probably like 2014, 15, like when I was in, starting my fourth year in dental school. 
and I was doing a rural rotation. So I was doing a lot of extractions and stuff at the time. So I started, you know, posting these extractions, you know, copying you guys. And uh, you actually started following my like personal account. This is like, back in dental school. So I remember I took like, a screenshot. It was like one of the, like, you know, go back to dental school, like a king. And I'm like, oh, belly tooth guy follows me and stuff. So um, I think a lot of us have those kind of stories. So I, I just want to thank you again before we, we kind of jump into it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, believe me, that type of stuff is really, it means more than, more than I can express. It's, it's, it means a lot. So me, not sure. only how we like to start these things is a bit of an origin story. So if you can just, I know you're, uh, you know, you had this cool and anonymous face for a little while. You came out a little bit at DIA, which was, a, I'm sure it was a big thing for you as well. Cause it is a bit of a life changing thing with that. People know your face and know who you are a little bit. So you can tell me a little bit about where you're from and then sort of what drew you to dentistry in the first place. And then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. I grew up uh, in New York, in the suburbs of New York City, um, basically going into the city as much as I possibly could, kind of loving the culture, loving loving the dining and the nightlife as I, as I was growing up. Uh, for undergrad, I went. I was uh, at Syracuse University, which is kind of upstate New York, uh, central New York, I guess it's called, and then came back to uh, New York City for dental school. I, I did... Uh, four years at NYU Dental School, and then right out of dental school, trained, did a four-year OMFS program at uh, Downstate at Kings County Hospital okay, nice. in Brooklyn. So I, I, you know, always, well, always New York City uh, until my second child was born and we moved out to Jersey. So now yeah. back in the suburbs again uh, with a couple of kids and, and married and just living a very, very different life. I started my practice in 2007 from zero I was an associate right out of residency I worked at a couple of different places and then I actually for a while I was doing kind of itinerant work I was working in like nine different offices as I in different offices as I started my practice uh, now we have uh, I have one partner wow. five other surgeons and about 45 employees four offices it's uh, it's really it's really been amazing, an amazing ride. So if I sure. if I was sitting beside you in you know first year dental school, uh, who was Blade Tooth Guy? What what would I say about you? Honestly, it was it's funny. You know, I, I in dental school I really wasn't that social. I I was very social in undergrad, and it was really. It, I mean, I went to Syracuse undergrad and had a great time, and ended up finding dentistry kind of. Uh, in an interesting way, I had a, a very, very close friend who's still a very close friend to today, whose father was an orthodontist. And I actually, he was basically my my mentor, my reason for going into dental school. So when I got to dental school, I said, you know, I got to actually focus and, and try to Try to do well and learn, and so I really wasn't a very social guy. I mean, I was I would I was friendly with with everybody, but I, I wasn't out all the time. I was already kind of I was already with my wife. She's my she was my girlfriend at the time, and so I I just kind of enjoyed. Plus, I was yeah. from New York, so I had all my friends after college, and I was still hanging out with my college friends and my high school friends and all of that. So, it, oddly, I wasn't really very, very involved in what was going on in dental school. I'd be interested to know what these people thought about me. I have and, no clue. Uh, did you know early on that you wanted to do like uh, max facts and is that you want to specialize or is that something that you kind of grew into as you went through dental school? 
so I went to dental school. I thought um, I wanted to do okay. cosmetic dentistry. That was that was my plan. And I actually started working for a prosthodontist in the evenings. And, you know, it, it didn't really appeal to me too much. And she had, she had had another assistant. I was working as a dental assistant. She had had another assistant who was just leaving to go to LSU for a six-year program. And I remember thinking, like, <laughs> how can you go for so much more time yeah. after dental school? I thought it was crazy. Um, but I ended up uh, finding myself in the basement of NYU Dental School, which is where the, where the oral surgery program was, and just loving it. And when you hear me, anyone who listens to me here, hears me talk about, like, find your passion. And it was, like, immediate to me. I, the first tooth I extracted was just like, oh, my God, this yeah. is a magical experience. And I loved it. And I had an aptitude for it. And thankfully, I did. And so, I mean, from that point forward, it was just oral surgery. You know, I did all my re all my requirements in dental school, and then I just became kind of the yeah. oral surgeon on the floor, right? So anyone who didn't yeah. want to extract teeth or anything like that, they'd call me over, and I would just do the consult and awesome. take the tooth out. That's all. That's all I ever wanted to do. I probably had more extractions in dental school. I that's probably awesome. a record. I think you know, a lot of us you know, resonate with that because I think it actually hurt me in dental school because I started liking surgery so much that. Like any tooth that was a bit questionable, I'd be like, yeah, just take it out. <laughs> so I didn't, get, I didn't get enough experience doing all this stuff. So when I graduated, I was like, oh man, I actually have no idea how to do any like regular dentistry. So it, it, it took me a while to kind of Okay, so uh, I mean, NYU is an interesting place because obviously with you know the aesthetics and cosmetic stuff, there seems to be a hub there with like Rosenthal, APA and all those guys. So um, it's interesting that you kind of you sure. know, came up in that environment and, and chose to do the, the surgical route. Tell me a little bit about the uh, Brooklyn residency. I'm sure you probably saw a lot of stuff there in terms of like trauma and interesting things like that. Yeah. So, so Kings County is actually uh, an amazing program and, and more very, very well-known surgeons in the United States have come out of Kings County than, than so many other programs. It's a program where you really get your hands yeah. in it from day one. Um, the clinic is very, very busy. First year is is a lot of exodontia, of course, uh, and you see tons of pathology. There, there, that population unfortunately uh, has been neglected to some degree, and and so you, you do see a ton of pathology that you don't otherwise see. Obviously, trauma, uh, interpersonal violence is 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 or at least when I was there, was a, a big issue. Uh, gunshot wounds, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, blunt trauma, not a whole lot of high-speed yeah. motor vehicle stuff, uh, but certainly a, a whole lot of interpersonal uh, violence stuff. We did TMJ, a lot, a lot of, I mean, it was really a full-scope program. So I was very, very fortunate. A ton of orthognathic surgery. Yeah, whatever we needed to do, we had the full support of our team, and we were able to we were able to do it. So it was it was great, great it's program. Because uh, over here in Australia, and I guess similarly to the UK, the the training pathway for Maxox is quite different. It's more like you know you got to do your dentistry, you got to go and do your medical degree by yourself, and then you start getting into the system. Um, I'm from Toronto originally, so I know what it's like in North America with the four year and the six year. Uh, at the time that you went through, was the six-year thing as common as it is now? And sort of what was your decision process between the two of those? So the six-year thing was not as, it was not as common. Uh, 
it was definitely a thought. It was definitely something I considered, but I, I always was very private practice minded. I've been, I've, I'm, I'm a kind of an entrepreneurial human being. And in my, my mind, you know, I love the big surgeries. I really did. I, I enjoyed doing them all the time. You see what I do. What I do day to day is, is what you see. Um, so for me, it wasn't something that I thought was necessary. I didn't really see it as something that was going to improve my existence. And, and I made the decision that the four-year program was for me. I will say that there's tremendous benefit yeah. in having the dual degree. Um, I think patients now are a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say discerning, but they think, of course, the MD is, is a superior degree. And because they do, some of them really want to see that. I think if you're in academics or if you want to be in organized dentistry to some really like a high degree, then the dual degree is helpful. But for me, for what I do day to day, I made the right decision. I think it's Absolutely. nice to have both options. I think in Australia recently, they used to have an oral surgery program. So not like oral maxillofacial um, that they're just starting to reintroduce. So University of Sydney has like a three-year sort of program. That's, I guess it would be sort of similar to what that four-year OMFS would be like in um, in the North America, but the scope will be like more restricted, just dental alveolar kind of stuff. So, uh, but I agree with you. I think even the, you know, the guys that you know go on and do the six-year program or in Australia, it's like 10 years. Majority of their work is going to be like exodontia or like, you know, dental alveolar wisdom teeth and impactions and stuff like that. So it just, it does make sense. Uh, I think the choice that you made. I appreciate that. But I will say, I will say this, that part of the beauty of oral maxillofacial surgery as a specialty in the United States in particular, because that's all I can really speak to is there are tons of four year single degree guys out there who are doing absolute full scope. I mean, really everything. And, um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's actually the most special, one of the most special things about our specialty is that you're not limited by your degree for the most part. And if, if you can, if you can do it and you're trained well and, and you can prove it and you're willing yeah. to sometimes fight the fight, yeah. you can, you can do whatever you want. Tolerance and all that stuff as well, stress tolerance. So, uh, so tell me, tell me a little bit about obviously, you know, Instagram is a huge part of, you know, like what you're doing now and, the presence and and you know even from when, when we look back to maybe like when we first, like when I first started following in like 2014 15 like it's just cha- like it's just changed so I'm sure you've you've seen the whole growth because you're one of the like the OGs like I, uh, like people like to say so uh, when did like Instagram come into your like worldview like how did you decide to start your page and um, and what was the decision to be anonymous from the start yeah so so. I started in uh, February, I'm coming up on five years, so February of 2015, and I was actually sitting in my office, and, I, and a lot of people know this story. You know, I had heard of the yeah. Dr. Pimple Popper thing, and I thought it was interesting, and I, people are looking at it, and it was really kind of early, but catching on, and I said, people are looking at this, maybe they want to see bloody teeth. It was really yeah. just conceived in that way, and so I, I thought of a name, and actually, I came up with the name because I have a very, very close friend who has a daughter. So she's a very close friend of mine also. And her stuffed animal that she had when she was a child was Broken Tail Guy. And it, it always st- stuck with me. I was like, yeah, Broken Tail Guy. And, and, I, and I, I decided, yeah. I was like, oh, Bloody Tooth Guy. It makes sense. That was really the That's name. Awesome. That's where the name came. And so all I did was, I, you know, obviously in the early stages, if you look back at my early posts, which I encourage people to do, they're just pictures of bloody teeth. And then eventually I got to, you know, lighting them differently and posing them differently. And I kind of went off on different tangents and Instagram has of course changed with, with 
you know, video and IGTV and all other aspects of Insta that are, that are now what make Insta Insta. There were no stories or anything like that. And so I evolved with those things. So if you look at my, my account now, it's a lot of video. It's more of an educational kind of thing. I'll throw up some pictures and you kind of get an understanding of who I am based on more on the commentary than on the picture. You know, my pictures are, there are people who take better pictures of bloody teeth than I do. Uh, and there are people who do some crazy, amazing surgeries. But I think what I do is mm-hmm. I show you who I am. It's real. There's no, yeah. there's no bullshit there. And, and you know, people, people really seem to like it, which is great and, for me. You, know, you mentioned you're entrepreneurial. And I think, you know, a lot of us kind of resonate with that. How is, you know, has it helped your practice at all? Because I know it's anonymous. So maybe like people, the lay person watching it may not know that's you and, you know, try and seek you out to come in because you do good work. Um, has it had any impact or like do your patients come to you and be like, oh, are you bloody tooth guy at all or anything like that? Or Yeah. Zero. Some, some. But so I'm very, very fortunate that I have a successful practice that I can, that I don't need to necessarily connect the two. Um, even... You know, I started out anonymous. You asked why. Uh, so I started out anonymous really, and I've told this story, I had no clue what the HIPAA ramifications were with what I was doing. I mean, and even if you look now, you would never be able to identify a patient by his or her bloody tooth, right? Or even, you know, anything about them. If there's a patient who has a tattoo, I won't show the IV. If there's a, you know, I'm very, very careful about that. Plus, I get consent from every single patient for to use video and, and photos. But I had no clue when it all started. I don't think anybody did. And, and so I started out anonymous. Plus, um, you know, I, I didn't really want any of my uh, colleagues slash competitors to speak about it in a negative light. And I think five years ago, it would have maybe been looked at a little negatively. Now, every kid wants to be you know, their wisdom tooth video on, on my Instagram. So that's a, that, that has kind of totally changed the mindset of the actual human out there, like just a wanting or perceiving that there's some fame or some sort of notoriety or whatever it is. Um, that has been helpful, but I mean, the fact is, is that I had no clue what to expect back then and, and now I do. And so to go back to this question that you just asked, I actually, it, it doesn't help my business. I, I really, I've thought about maybe connecting them in some way, but it's not something I really focused on. This is really, it's really just, yeah, just because it. I love and it. I think it comes it's across in the content anything. as well, because yeah, it's, yeah. it's not something that you would like be persistent about for five years and keep posting content if you don't actually enjoy doing it for the sake of doing it. Uh, if it was like a means to an end to something, you might Fair not so. along the way type thing. So. Yeah, so tell me a little listen. bit about like your, I guess, average week. I know you're obviously quite busy with you know, managing multiple practices now and associates and partners and all that. Um, how much time are you actually doing surgeries yourself versus, you know, doing the business admin side of things and all that? So that's a good, that's a good question. I'm, I'm, so I, I probably spend, if you break it down, probably four, four days a week doing surgery. Um, so I, I actually see, uh, thankfully, a lot of patients and, uh, you know, I'm still, still very, very busy. Uh, in the office again, thankfully, but running the offices has now become something that is be, is is a yeah. takes up a lot more time. You know, as you go from one office to two offices, that's a big jump, and then two to three, um, a bigger, and then when you go to four, it's a little bit different, especially when you have good yeah. 
a good team. I mean, I've, I have a very, very good group of people doing what they need to do. Each individual office has its own office manager. There are practice administrators. Each surgeon is, is you know, autonomous in the sense that they, they can basically run the office the way that they want to run the office as long as it's in the confines yeah. of what we try to do, you know, as far as yeah. keeping the brand consistent. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that my week is primarily patient care. Uh, probably a day a week of of doing business of the business and probably another seven days a week just <laughs> doing everything else. Yeah, I, mean, I, I pack a lot. I do a lot in a day, a lot. So do you work prim- primarily out of one practice or do you like rotate between the, between the four that you have? I, I primarily see patients out of one practice. Awesome. And so, I mean, we do, uh, it is a bit of a clinical podcast as well. Uh, so I just thought maybe okay, one cool thing to be is like, maybe just get your thought process. So a patient comes in for, you know, some, you know, four by eights removal, you're looking at the pan or OPG. Uh, just tell me like, how, what's your thought process start to finish? Like what you think about in terms of your surgical planning, if you're going to need to like, and I think I've asked you this uh, multiple times because I obviously I don't have anywhere near the number of reps as you do, but um, you look at it like a mesial impacted lower eight. And I think I see your videos and sometimes it'll just pop out. Sometimes it won't pop out. Like are you, how good are you at predicting these things of you look at the, the radiograph and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this and this and this versus then often you have to like change on the fly to be like, okay, no, I need to section or to uh, remove more bone, for example. So, so I, I like with anything you do with anything anyone should do there, there's like a, there's kind of a stepwise thinking about it. Right. So I evaluate the x-ray, I evaluate the patient and I make decisions based on the patient and the x-ray as to if I need any kind of further imaging or whatever, we have yeah. cone beams in every one of our offices. So if I need a CBCT, I'll take a CBCT. Most often not. I usually don't scan uh, wisdom tooth patients, yeah. but when we need to, we need to. So I'll make some sort of assessment about the patient, about the about the case, and then most of my cases I do under what most people would consider mild to moderate intravenous sedation, right? So, um, if if so, the patient ends up coming back, we go over all the pre-ops, everything that they need to worry about, and we sedate the patient, and then. I make the same flap every single time. And if I feel like it's worth even trying to push the tooth out, I will, you know, I'll take my elevator and I'll try to rotate it. I don't put a lot of force on any of these teeth. If the tooth wants to come out, it will. If you're trying to force it, you're doing something wrong respectfully. Um, So if, if the tooth tries to, if the tooth starts to move and I can get it out, great. If it's something is holding it up, then I'll just quickly pick up my handpiece and, trough i trough like basically mid distal all the way around to the mesial and then i will rotate the tooth out if it doesn't happen i'll section the tooth through the furcation and i'll take it i don't i think doing it as many times as i've done it it, you're not really if something doesn't go your way you just kind of deal with it and you're just on to the next step and i think that's what separates experienced oral maxillofacial surgeons or experienced whatever from from someone else being able to handle whatever comes your way is the key. I mean, that's, that's really the whole, that's the whole thing. Plus we have very, I have have very good instruments and you know, my instruments and my assistants are amazing. So setting (laughs) myself up to succeed by kind of outfitting with my armamentarium and and everything is very helpful. It's a huge uh, stressor for a lot of us, like guys like starting out is you'll, you'll have something in your mind and you'll plan it. And then in mid procedure, if it's not going that way, you don't have necessarily the tools to like 
think on your feet to like backtrack or you know uh, troubleshoot it. So it can be pretty stressful uh, and take a lot longer right. to get these things done. You know, one of the questions I got on Instagram was, you know, what's like the most common reason for a referral that you get from a general dentist? Like if they've had to like abandon a case or they couldn't finish the case, and what tips do you have to kind of avoid these things from happening in the first place if you can? So that, that so here, here's the answer to the most common referral I have is actually not like a, a problem that the general dentist had. It, the, mo- the most common referral I get is because the dentist, it's, in the United States, I think it's very, very different than it is in other places. Even with, even with the younger dentists, though they're more likely to take on surgery, I think most of the time the general dentist says, you know, I'd rather... St- I'd rather do the restorative or I'd rather do whatever it is that they do day to day and they just refer the patient out. The, the specialist model here is is kind of very much what it is still. It's changing to some degree. Um, is, there are a lot of specialists who actually are in general dentist offices now, but the general dentists themselves, I think, are doing not not as much surgery as international okay. dentists are doing. So we're not... I mean, we do get our share of, you know, a tooth that couldn't come out, a broken root, a root that's in the sinus, uh, you know, what, whatever it is. But it's not, it's not usually like that. Most, most dentists that I'm working with are aware that it might make more sense for the patient to come see me in the first place rather than try to take something on and then have have trouble. I guess it's interesting because I guess with like litigation and stuff, you know, being so high in the U S maybe some people are just like, it's not even worth the stress or the risk to like do something that they're not, you know, competent or confident at. Um, That's true. That's true. But also, you know, first of all, they don't have, they don't have necessarily the right instruments in, in many cases. You can have some surgical instruments, but if you don't have the right handpiece, the right, you know, like I've been in a general dental, many general dental offices where they have like, uh, like typical standard high speed handpieces that they're trying to take teeth out with. That angle doesn't work. The short shank bird doesn't work. Blowing the air into the surgical site doesn't work. There's a lot of blood. The the assistant doesn't really know how to assist for a surgical procedure. And then you can have a patient have a negative experience. And that one patient who has a negative experience in your office is worse than 10,000 positive yeah. Google reviews is good. So, you know, you, you just, a lot of the guys here, they know, like, what am I going to waste two hours of this person's time and my time, not my time, but the, their own time and, and have this patient have a negative experience. Why not just send them to me? And, <laughs> and, and it's going to no, work out pretty well. So what, uh, I guess, what advice would you have for, for someone who maybe has been working for a little bit? I know in the U.S. is a little bit different because a lot of you guys go straight from dental school straight into your specialty. You don't have that buffer period. Um, Canada, Australia, like there's almost like a requirement. You got to work for a few years in, in the general setting. Uh, so what, uh, you know, if someone wants to enter oral surgery or oral maxillofacial surgery at this like, stage now, like, what's your advice in terms of the future of the field? Um, like I said, you, you talked about the different models of, you know, the traditional like brick and mortar, like this is my oral surgery practice come here versus going around to different sites. Uh, what's your, like, I guess I'll look on the next you know, five, 10 years for, for your specialty. So I think that, I think the specialty is interesting. It's, it's really kind of evolving both what I'm seeing with candidates who are coming out of residency now uh, is there's a lot, many, many more of them are the ones that are applying to work with us are very interested in 
you know, what you guys, what everyone would call oral surgery, what I would call dental alveolar oral surgery, whatever it is. And so I don't know that I'm necessarily seeing the people who are very interested in staying with the larger procedures. There is a great focus on fellowship training. Uh, my partner is a head and neck, uh, American Head and Neck Society fellowship trained microvascular surgeon. So this guy can, you know, chop your head off and sew it back on. And it, yeah. it, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> I take uh, wisdom teeth and do a lot of exposures and place a, t- a ton of implants. Yeah. And I'm very good at it, but I couldn't do that not without reading a little bit of a book or something, but um, no, but I mean, so our specialty is kind of, I think it's going more in the, the model of the way the rest of the world works. I do think that oral maxillofacial surgery still being one specialty is kind of dividing into oral surgeons and those who are more involved in maxillofacial type of surgery, traditionally what you would call maxillofacial surgery. Um, I think in the oral surgery world, there is there has been a shift. You could, I mean, again, I started my practice, me and three, uh, four young ladies who started with me, um, and it's now a, a sizable group. It's probably more difficult to enter the market in, in many places now as a single practitioner. And I think that joining a large group is seemingly more desirable for most people. And I also think that because of what's going on in terms of corporate dentistry in the United States, that there's kind of a need for that. So um, I think you're going to see a shift to larger practices over the course of the next 10 years. Fewer single, single practicing guys or women, more women. That's a huge thing. Many, many more women entering the field, which I think is great. And, um, and I think that you're going to see, you know, more fellowship trained, higher level maxillofacial surgeons. And one other thing, I think you're going to see a lot of, a lot more awareness of oral maxillofacial surgery, which has been something that our specialty has been not so great with. Uh, the things that we do are pretty impressive and the, pe- the people need to know and how, that. How do you think that's going to come about? Is it just from like patient education or? Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to tell them. But I, I, I think I think that more people out there that are notable. I mean, if you look at yeah. look at a guy like Appa, right? So Appa has brought attention to the world of cosmetic dentistry. That so Larry Rosenthal yeah. kind of started it all, right? And then Appa took it to the next level. And Appa has made people so aware of of what the potential benefits of cosmetic dentistry. He does a great job of showing his lifestyle and who he is and his attention yeah. to detail and all of that. And he, he really has, he's done more for dentistry than most dentists will give him credit for. And I think that there's a lot, there are a lot of uh, dentists out there who may be, let's say envious and it comes out in a negative way, but if they really look at it and they look at how patients walk into their offices and ask for veneers, like yeah. what the heck is that? Who would even know what that is except for these guys. So, you know, Credit these guys. I, I hope to do something similar awesome. for. I, think, I mean, you have like 116,000 followers. So that's a good start to have a good platform to be able to do these things. So, and yeah, Appa is that. And I think one of the, one of the cool things with the newer generation of the dentists I'm seeing is, and you know, those evident at DIA is how collaborative we are, how like growth minded most of us are. We're not, you know, looking next door and be like, "What's that guy doing?" and being competitive in like that negative kind of sense. So I think uh, I think the markets are in right. terms of the dental community is like ready for stuff like this to happen. Uh, because we, I think most of us are growing up on the social media stuff and we're more open to these kind of experiences. And Apple is amazing. Like, uh, if I'm having a you know, shit week at work and I'll look at his, 
he's like private jet to Dubai and stuff. I'm like, like it's motivating, you know? So, uh, so yeah. of course, honestly, I love that. I really do love that about, about the generation, right? Like everyone, there is this drive to succeed, right? There really is. There is a real drive to, to succeed. And that will put everybody gets pushed further and further. I mean, as long as you're doing what's right and you're keeping it, you know, within that confine, you are, I think that what we're going to see in the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years is going to be just, it's going to blow us out of the, sure. out of the I world. think it's, it's cool because, I mean, obviously there's competition. The competition is on the rise. I think it's only meaning that the level of dentistry is getting better and better. Like the baseline of like acceptable general dental care, like on a day-to-day basis is just so much better than what it was maybe 10, 15 years ago. Uh, dentists are seeing what's possible on like oh, Instagram yeah. as like a good benchmark and just trying to like reach up and, and aim for those levels. So, so that's great. Okay. So I think, you know, some of the other stuff I want to talk to you about, obviously, uh, some more random topics and things. And I see you're a big watch guy. I see you're wearing your pen right now. And I know you you post about it from time to time as well. So tell me a little bit about the watches and like your hobby, because I'm a big watch guy as well. If you have a Grail watch or like, what's your current collection? So the watch, I mean, my, my favorite watch, which is my, basically my everyday watch is my 5980. You know, I, I, that's my paddock. I, I love it. it that's my watch. I wear it all the time. Um, I've got a few Panerais, a few IWCs, a Jaeger, um, uh, Ulysse Narden. I, I, I've got, you know, I've got a, a bunch of watches. I, I happen to be somebody who is very attracted yeah. to intricate detail. And I think nothing, nothing is more intricate than, than the movement of a watch of a timepiece. So for me, um, I fell in love with them. Started you know, very, very young, probably I, I bought a tag, but I, I, I was given a tag Hoyer, uh, when I was in my teens and, and that, that really kind of started me off on the watch yeah. road. And, uh, I, you know, right now I'm pretty good. I'm comfortable with, uh, yeah. with my collection, but I'm always look. I'm always and looking you, for something. Uh, so, you, you know, a lot it. of us like we link our you know big purchases of watches to like life events or accomplishments and things. Are you similar in that sense, or you just kind of buy them as they come up? Um. So, yeah, I you know like I I buy them for for big events for sure. You know, if my, you know something for my daughters or you know like when I got married or whatever it would be, but. You know, fortunately, if I see a watch and I like it, and 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 it's something that I haven't seen, like you know, I have a couple of I have a few Rolexes that I that I really love that are special watches, uh, and so I'll, I'll buy them if I if I see them and I like them and and they fit and meaning they fit the need in my mind at that moment and I'm feeling good or I'm in the right spot and yeah, my I, I'll, I'll, I'll I buy. Just it. Don't want to beat us to you. I mean, if you work hard, you know, you have it's like. If we all have our guilty pressures and, you know, watches are definitely one of them for a lot of us. So it's an expensive hobby for sure. So, uh, you know, I'm pretty early, I'm pretty early in my, in my sure. I guess, dental career and stuff. So I don't have a big collection yet, but it's something that I, it's like a motivating factor because I'm like, I'm going to accomplish this and this and this. And then when I get to these points, then I reward it. That's right. Well, I will say, I will say this though, having the, having the watches, it's nice. The problem with them, um, like people who say you get a tattoo, you get one, you get like 75 or whatever it is. Um, but so you have a watch and you love it and then you want something else and then you get that something else. The thing about them though, is if you buy the right watches, they don't, yeah. they hold their value yeah. at least to some degree. It's not like you're buying something that is, like that, that, has, that doesn't have yeah. value. The secondary market 
is there, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> if you buy the right Which cars, time, they hold yes, their they, value. They turn around again. But so do you wear do you wear a watch at work or you don't you just take it off and okay. I do. I do. I wear I wear a watch. Yeah. I mean look, if I'm if I'm doing something that, that requires where I need to not have it on, I won't have it on, but I wear my, I wear my watch. And, uh, and what about sports? I know you yeah. mentioned you're talking yesterday, the Super Bowl's coming up. Are you a big sports fan? Like what kind of sports do you follow mostly? So I'm a huge Giants fan for New York football Giants. Uh, we sucked for the last couple of years, but, but I am a huge, huge New York Giants fan. I'm a season oh, nice. ticket holder. I have been for a long time. Um, I'm, I, I have a tough time saying I'm a Knicks fan because they're like the worst and Dolan is the worst. And I mean, by saying this, I could be banned from the garden, which is crazy. Did you hear that um, chance the other day? So Dolan is the worst. They're chanting, sell the team. It was pretty interesting. Oh yeah. They, they, the, the fan base, yeah. I mean, so it's New York, right? I mean, everyone, everyone yeah. tells it like it is. So he's, uh, he's the worst. He's horrible. And it, it, I mean, he has this, this amazing opportunity. Yeah. It's the Mecca, you know, but it, it's just whatever. It, it's not good. So I'm a, I'm a yeah. Nick fan ish. I'm a big Yankee fan. Um, love the Yankees. Uh, and I'm a Ranger fan for hockey. But the, the issue is, I can't believe I just said that because I am the official oral surgeon of the oh, no New way. Jersey devils. That's so amazing. I grew up as, I grew up as yeah. a Ranger fan and, and now we're we're the devil's that is, official. So how does that, that's, that's like that's like my dream job. So how does that work? Like, do you have to go to all the home games, or they just come to you if they have an injury? Or? Yeah, so the, the the team dentist is the one required to be at mm-hmm. at all the games, uh, or at least have representation at all the games, and and the patients are referred based on yeah. what needs to be done, um, either through the trainer or through the. Or through oh, the that's amazing. Yeah, I remember I, I was like when I was in uh, in dental school, I was looking up you know oral maxillofacial surgery, and there was a female surgeon who was like the Anaheim Ducks uh, team doctor, and she was talking about like the day to day of like what it's like to be a team team surgeon and all that. So I think I was like I'm a huge sports fan, so to me that'd be like the ultimate job. That's like one of the regrets I have like not going into medicine is like not having that avenue or like physio or whatnot. But um, if you can find your way there, eventually that's like that's great, and it's cool. I mean. You know, I grew up in Toronto, so we were like a pretty shitty sports town for like a long time. So I had like a lot of envy towards like New York and Boston, and, you know. And I'm a huge uh, Raptors right. fan, obviously basketball fan. So uh, last year was like you know pretty good for us. And then we got, I think, our, and the Leafs are doing a little bit better. So as a city, I think we got a bit of swagger now. We got Drake representing us. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, what is that? The six? Is yeah. that the six? So it's been it's good. I think we have a little bit more confidence, and you know, even the team's doing a bit better this year as well. With, uh, you know, with quiet leaving, going to Clippers and all that, but it's, uh, it's yeah. nice to have that the sports in your life as well. It's like a nice uh, avenue. Um, so For I guess sure. uh, anything else that you want to, you, know, you want to talk about since you are here on the podcast, anything I didn't ask you that you think people will get value from? I, I mean, a lot of people ask me, I think the primary thing that I'm asked is, you know, um, what to do at certain stages in, yeah. in your career and how to, how to kind of keep motivated and things like that. And, you know, I, I, think, I think it's really important um, to be focused also on the process, right? A lot of people, you and I talk about the benefits of, of getting to the point where you're successful and you can have all the, the rewards of being successful, but it really is a process. And if you look back like at, the, at, my, at my career, at the whole timeline, the entire time and even now, I'm immersed in the patient experience. I, I'm very, very focused on trying to create the optimal patient experience for every patient each and every time. 
And if you do that, you're going to have thousands, if not tens of thousands of people out there who are your champion. And that will help build your brand and your business. And I think treating the patients and treating your team uh, as, as well as you possibly can and knowing that everyone is there trying to do their best and most people are absolutely good people in their heart that that you're, it will all come back to you in spades. Never worry about the little stuff. Always focus on like the bigger picture and just just do the right thing every time. What, uh, you know, when you look back, I guess, is there a couple of big key decisions in terms of, you know, when to transition from being like working different practices, setting up your own? Like I know these are big decisions to make or investments in financially. Uh, what are some like key big decisions you made that you look back, you're like, man, I'm really glad I did those things. So I find that a lot, if you speak to people who are kind of my position in life, you'll find that a lot of the best uh, outcomes have come from adversity or perceived yeah. adversity. And so, you know, I lo- look, I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of people who have gone through what, whether it's truly adverse in the sense of like big picture stuff where people are really suffering, it's yeah. typically not. It's typically adverse for you or like how you internalize it. I and mean, when I, I started my practice because I was, I was an associate for somebody who, um, who, who I think maybe changed the rules of the game a little bit in the middle of the discussion. And so it put me in a position where I had to leave and, and I had to go out on my own. And so in February of 07, I left my, my great job. I moved out to New Jersey without, a, without anything real or concrete. And my second daughter was born. So I had this crazy time where I was really anxious and I had, had a really, uh, really concerned about you know, my life and my family and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I was yeah. still doing fine, but I was concerned. And, uh, and making the decision to start my own practice as opposed to going to work with somebody else or, you know, that was absolutely the right thing for me. It's not the right thing for everybody, but it's, you have to kind of look inside yourself and know what's right, but make some sort of decision to start now because if you start anything later than now, you don't get to enjoy it yeah. for as long that's, as you could. So awesome. start Are now. Are you a big, like a, uh, you know, morning routine kind of guy and stuff like that? No, uh, no, I'm a, no, I'm really not. I wish I was. Yeah. I envy that. I, I, the guys who can get up and go to the gym in the morning and do whatever. I, I, no, I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm a nocturnal human being. I always have been. My mind goes till very, very late at night. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm always, let's say, <laughs> suboptimal. I don't really love. I, I don't really love it. I'd rather yeah. sleep in a little bit. Um, but, but I, my life is what it is. So. No, I'm not a, I'm not, you know, I get up, I do what I got to do, hygiene stuff, and then I'm out the door, a cup of coffee in my office. Do you like to plan your surgeries in the morning or since you're not a big morning person, you like to kind of put them later in the day? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I start seeing patients typically at nine. Um, There are, there are days where I'll see patients as early as seven or eight, but most of the time nine and I go till, till four or five with procedures and I have this the way that my schedule is I'll see it's hour blocks so it's the procedure a consult and like a post-op or something like that within the hour and I do that through the day I don't take a lunch I don't go to lunch with with um Mm -hmm. with dentists or anything like that I I basically order the same thing middle of the day and 
how do you find so time that, that, to, uh, that's what's your, that's I was going to ask you, this is a good question. It's like, how do you, what's your setup for like recording your videos? Like do you have two assistants or how do you set that up in your, in your op? So I have <laughs> Nana hold the phone on the side of the, on the side of the, yeah. uh, on the side of the patient. It bothers her. It annoys her because it's typically taking her away from whatever <laughs> it is that she's actually supposed to be doing. Um, but she, but so I have, yeah, I have a surgical assistant yeah. who I work with across the chair. I have somebody who hands me instruments. And if I need someone to chin the patient, you know, to support the airway, there's always a, there's often a third person. And then if Nana, if Nana's in the room, it's, uh, yeah. it's, and just, and she's just the fourth the person. You're not using so, proper, like, nice. That's awesome. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Perfect. So, I mean, that's, I mean, we covered a lot and I think you give a lot of good valuable insight and advice for people as well. So I think a lot of people are going to really appreciate uh, this interview. Uh, what I'd like to do just to wrap these things up, just like a quick kind of rapid fire. Uh, so we'll kind of jump into that. Uh, what's your, what's your favorite pizza topping? Pepperoni. It, what's Pepperoni. your favorite like musician, artist or band? Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead. Uh, we, I guess we talked about this, but what's your, what's your favorite sports team? Uh, I'll put the one for you. What's your favorite watch brand or manufacturer? Uh, if you weren't doing dentistry, what would you be doing? I'd be sitting in Tuscany on a mountain or a hill, just looking at, drinking wine, eating cheese, and some sort of pork product, and dipping bread into olive oil, and just thanking, <laughs> thanking whatever that it's that life is. And, as uh, good what's as your it favorite? Is. I guess tooth to extract. Number one. <laughs> Number one. And uh, what's, um, yeah. you know, I guess, I guess with your oral surgery, what's like one procedure that makes you question your career choice? Mid-procedure, sometimes you're just like, oh, man, I don't want to be doing this. Uh, you know what? I know this is going to sound like bullshit, but I really, I really don't, I really don't question it ever. I mean, it, and it has nothing to do with this nothing i really i really very very much love doing what i do period i mean do i want to do a, a molar apico on tooth number 18 yeah. which is lower left second molar i probably would not opt to do that if i could avoid it but you know and i can't avoid it so uh, the, the point is is i don't Enjoy. I don't. Re- I love what I do. Comes across. Every day. I Every really day. appreciate it. Thank yeah. you so much for you know making the time to sit down and have this interview. Uh, it was nice to get your insights on a lot of these things. Uh, I, I'm starting. So I've been in private practice now for like two and a half, three years. Just in like next week, I'm starting a, like a one year kind of oral surgery training. So it's kind of like the entry into MaxVax here in in Australia. I'm hoping I can come back to Canada and get in, or maybe in the US. Cool. I gotta write my like. Uh, it's like NBME exams and stuff like that. Cause I don't want to stay here. It's just, it's too long of a process, I think, but I'll be like 40 by the time I finish. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, not, I'm actually seeing a lot of stuff on like the process of getting, of actually being able to practice here or Canada. I don't know what, I mean, I know that there's an advanced standing program, but it requires basically going back to dental school uh, in for the a US, few years. Um, in Canada, it's quite nice. So between like Canada, cause it's a Commonwealth country. So Canada, Ireland, uh, Australia, if you graduate locally, there's a reciprocal deal so you can just practice. Um, so, I mean, being from Canada, I wrote my like board exam. So I did work in Canada for a year as well before moving back here. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. I think uh, so our, the program I'm getting into is, is it's at the dental hospital. So it's purely like dental alveolar kind of stuff. So a lot of wisdom teeth, a lot of, you know, oral surgery and, 
yeah, uh, we'll see, I guess, where it goes from there. But I, I think, you know, a lot of stuff that you do, the way you talk to patients, you know, a lot of pushing pressure. Like, I, uh, we all use that stuff. So I just want to thank you again. Uh, we, we learn a lot. So it's my pleasure. Thank, thank you for that content. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today. Ah, no trouble. Thank you for thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Anything you guys ever need.